our recordings this morning. And so this is the part one. And I wanted you to hear it. So, uh, so if you felt that church is a little early for those that are joining us online, don't worry, there's a, the second one coming at nine o'clock, amen? And so you can join that one as well. But I didn't want you to miss out the word because there's some, there some great young men and women of God that are gonna bless us this morning, amen? So we are blessed. They're going to tag team this and we're going to uh, listen to what God is speaking even through our young people today. And uh, so Karen will start us off and then Danielle and then Axel. Axel will close us out today. Amen. So we're looking forward to a great time in God's presence. Just keep following with us and we pray that God will bless them. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your sons and your daughters that are going to share the word of the Lord, both in the first service and in the second service. I thank you for, like in the days of Samuel, as you caused, you said none of the words that Samuel spoke fell to the ground. And that Samuel grew up sleeping, staying close to the ark. It is my desire, it's the desire of every father and every mother, every grandparent, that we will see a next generation that will begin to stay close to the ark. That there will be those that will be like the sons of Korah, that will be the carriers of the ark, carriers of the presence of God. I pray that you will raise up a generation of young men and women, not only in Potter's house, but everywhere. That would have the word of the, of the Lord in their mouth and in their heart. Father, I pray that they would be carriers of the presence of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, O God, anoint their lips with the coals from the altars of God. That as they speak, they would speak as oracles of God, as the speaking place of God. May they enjoy the covering and the protection of the Almighty God. Hide them. So it will not be them that will be seen, but you. Not them that is heard, but you. So we say today, Lord, speak, Lord. For we your servants here. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, once again, I would like to break the ice and also wake up the people by bringing in a bit of humor. Uh, what kind of person was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. <laughs> Thank you. 
that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, when Pastor mentioned that we would be sharing on Sunday, I'm not going to lie, I panicked a bit simply because of the time we had to prepare. I didn't have much time to wait upon the Lord for a word. So I took the topic generation momentum and decided to run with it. I did some research through spending time in his word and seeking guidance from none other than Brother Neil. We spoke for hours, even though most of it was us debating about whether Liverpool can turn the season around. <laughs> Going forward, the, the important points I pulled out of our conversation. The scripture I have decided to use is actually our family's prophetic scripture for the year 2021. It's so profound that it ties in so well with the term generation momentum. My scripture reading is taken from Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, and with all your soul and with all your strength, your entire being. These words which I am commanding you today shall be written on your heart and mind. You shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with these truths. And shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk on the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, your forearm, and they shall be used as bands, frontals, or frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's a lot of ways to interpret these given scriptures, and I'm going to try my best to portray his word. Firstly, I'm going to focus on verses 8 and 9. I know it's quite odd to start with the last couple of scriptures, but I'm going to do it anyway. It basically says that his word should be tied as a sign on your arm and should be used as a headband on your forehead and that it should be written on the doorposts and gates of your house. We should wear his word with pride. It should be of the highest honor that we get the chance to. When we make contact with people, they should already be able to pick up how blessed we are because of the presence we carry. His word tied to our arms means that we need to reflect Christ in whatever we may do. Wearing his word as a headband means that our thoughts are covered by him. When we speak and interact with others, they should be able to tell that we are in tune with God and his word. Writing his word on your doorposts and gates means that there is a constant presence in your home that can be felt by whoever enters it. In other ways, it serves as a covering over your home and protects it from the things that are not of God. I now want to focus on the verses 5 to 7. To sum it up, it says that we need to love the Lord our God with our entire being. The word that he gives us must be remembered as if it is etched into our hearts and our minds. And these same words should be taught constantly to the next generation. I want to emphasize the word constantly, for in the scripture it says, you shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It means in every waking moment you should be grooming the next generation to walk the path closest to God. The Lord is telling us, or the older generation to be more specific, that it is their responsibility to make sure that the upcoming generation will not only walk on the path closest to Him, but strive to get even closer. This is what I view generation momentum as, us, us making sure that the path we're on gets closer and closer to Him in time that the generations after us move with the same mindset and mentality of striving to be closer to Him. 
we as the younger generation need to use the adults before us as guidance. Or it's not going to be long until it's our turn to groom the next generation, to carry the mantle and legacy that was given to us. I hope you are blessed with this word. Amen.
verse 6 to 12, stand as one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Two things strike me about this prayer. There is great faith here and great simplicity. Number one is faith. There is faith in God's character. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. There is faith in God's promise. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and Israel give it to you forever to the descendants of your father Abraham? Number two, simplicity. There is only one request. Will you not judge them? There is only one compliment. See how they have repaid us. There is only one confession. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We get all mixed up when we think about prayer. We look at the externals, the form, the words, the length, whether we are standing or sitting, whether our eyes are open or shut, whether we phrase things in precisely the way, the right way. But God looks at the internal, yes, the faith, the sincerity, the honesty. He's not that interested in the outside. When he listens to prayer, he looks at your heart. And Jehoshaphat's heart was in the right place. This isn't, very, this isn't a very long prayer, but it saved a nation. It wasn't very complicated, but it got the job done. The answer wasn't long in coming when the people were gathered in Jerusalem. The Lord spoke through a prophet named Jezehiel. His message was simple. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord, but, but God's. Take a moment to savor that last phrase. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. I imagine Jehoshaphat was glad to hear that. The prophet went on to give him some very specific instructions. Number one, tomorrow you will march down to meet your enemies. Number two, take your positions, but don't have to fight. Number three, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Whose battle is it anyway? In the moment of crisis, our greatest danger is discouragement. We see the foe lined up against us and it scares us to death. After all, fear is well founded if we have to face a vast army with no help from above. The real question is, will you go, will you go in your own strength or will you go in God's power? If the battle is yours, you are in trouble. If the battle is God's, you don't, you don't have to fight. You just have to take your position. The prophet's final words were, go, go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Two things happen next. Jehoshaphat bowed down to the ground and all the people of Judah fell to the ground and began to worship the Lord. The Levites stood up and began to praise God with a loud voice. Now we get to the good part of the story. The next morning, the army of Judah begins to move against the enemy. But it's the strangest battle formation in history. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekar. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, people of Judah and Jerusalem. 
faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out to the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Can you imagine the sight? Here comes the army of Judah, thousands of men armed for battle. Who's at the head? Not the scouts, not the archers, not the warriors, not the infantry, not the mighty men. The choir is leading the way. This was a bold, courageous move. Either the singers will be killed in a great slaughter, or God will come through. But this is God's battle. So the the proper response is bold, courageous worship that Jehoshaphat does. Does seems like nonsense, but it makes perfect God's sense. They say that an era silence envelops a battlefield just before the first shot is fired. A tense living silence when all the world stops just before the roar of the guns. In that, in that silent moment, men gather their thoughts, say their private prayers, and prepare to die. Military strategies tell us that nothing is more important in battle than achieving the element of surprise. If your enemy doesn't know you are coming, perhaps the shock of the first assault will win the day. If you can, if you can hit him when he doesn't expect it, he will rock back on his heels and soon flee the field. But the army of Judah gave up the element of surprise. Here they come down the road, led by the male choir, singing at the top of their voices. Not, not a patriotic hymn, not a loud song, not a military march, but a cry of praise to the Almighty God. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Over and over they sang, lifting their praise high and higher. No doubt the soldiers joined them, thundering the sound of praise across dry hills. The strategy would appear to be suicidal. In the first place, they were giving up all hope of surprise. Even the deaf could hear this army coming. Meanwhile, something strange is happening in the army camp. As the men of Judah came closer, the sound of singing confused the Moabites and Ammonites. Precisely what happened is unclear. The sound of singing confused the Moabites and Ammonites. The Bible simply says, the Lord set ambushes against them. Perhaps his angels joined the battle somehow. Perhaps he caused them to fall in their own traps and began killing each other. Who knows? But the killing started. There was no way to stop it. First the Moabites and the Ammonites turned on the Mennonites and killed them. Then the Moabites and the Ammonites began attacking each other. Meanwhile, the army of Judah kept on marching. When they got to the high place overlooking the battlefield, all they saw were dead bodies. Stiff corpses, drying in the hot desert wind, that's all. A field of dead men. Moabites, Ammonites, Mennonites, all dead. Not a one of them killed by the men of Judah. In their confusion, they had killed each other. The vast army was no more. They won a battle, 
they never fought. Amen. The Bible is specific on this point. No one escaped. Think of that. Not even one survivor. Every man who came to fight that day, that, well, every man who came to fight died that day. The men of Judah never shot an arrow, never threw a spear. They didn't fight at all. They marched out singing, and by the time they got to the battlefield, it was over. Amen. Just like Amen. God said. Amen. Jehoshaphat defeats Moab at Aram. You know what's funny about that. He didn't lift a finger. He didn't break his sweat. No general ever had an easier battle than this. He didn't fire a shot. He didn't lose a man. He didn't have time to get uniform dirty. And he did not win. He didn't he did not only won the battle but the entire battle was over before he got there. Amen. The rest of the story goes like this. It took three days to carry off the plunder of the enemy, uniformed equipment and weapons. On the fourth day, they had a praise gathering in the Valley of Baranch, which means the Valley of Praise. When they got to Jerusalem, they had another praise gathering at the temple. This time was an Old Testament combo, harps, lays, and trumpets. When the other nations heard what had happened, they decided to leave the people of God alone. The end of the story is in verse 30. The kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Amen. Great things happen to us when we realize our powerless condition. The key to this victory is found at the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer. We have no power to face this vast enemy that is coming against us. Have you ever felt like that? What a great place to be. If you are there right now, don't despair. God delights to intervene on behalf of powerless people. This whole story pictures our situation in the world. We, were, we are always outnumbered, always outflanked, always surrounded by duties, cares, hindrances, harassments, problems, and the entanglements of life. It's so easy to have false insecurity. I, I can take it, don't worry, I can handle it. I've got it under control. But we are always broken sooner or later. In the end, even the most powerful realize they have no power at all. The strongest man is broken on the jagged rocks of reality sooner or later. Just when we think we've got it all together, in that, fate, in that fateful moment, life begins to fall apart. Here's a key thought for you. Christian growth is a process of continually breaking our false security. God does it by slowly stripping you from the things in which you trust. Your health, your job, your money, your friends, your plans for the future your career, your dreams, your children, your spouse, and in the end, even your reputation will lie in ruins. God does it, not to destroy you, but to take everything else away that you have nowhere else to go but to the Lord. Amen. That's what he did for Jehoshaphat. That's what he does for all of us. That's what he's doing for some of you right now. The things that you value the most are slowly being taken from you. But God, who seems to now be so cruel, actually loves you so much Amen. that he will not let you go until you are trust in him alone. Back to the phrase of Jehoshaphat's prayer. 
We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's where God wants you to be. That's ground zero of the spiritual life. He will do whatever it takes, including bringing pain and discouragement into your life. In order to get you to that point, the cultivation of our worship is our means of spiritual victory. Once again, we come to face to face with the reality that worship is not something we do or just a hour we or is a simple religious routine served for Sunday morning. Worship is our response to God as we turn to Him in our helplessness. That's why the story is so crucial to the proper understanding of worship. Look all look at all that was involved in worshiping God. Fasting, gathering, praying, standing, bowing, falling down, loud praising, praising and marching, singing and praising, praising in the valley, praising at the temple, cheering, rejoicing, thanking, playing the harp, playing the lute, sounding out the trumpet. But notice this, they worshipped God before the crisis. They worshipped during the crisis. They worshipped after the crisis. Worship was not an event they attended. Worship was a way of life for the people of God. And God responded to their worship by giving them a fantastic victory. That's why I think verse 22 is so significant. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, sent ambushes against the men of Anam and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, as they were defeated. Did you get that? As they began to sing and praise, that is, in the act of singing, while they were praising in the midst of their worship. As a response to it, God sent, sent ambushes for their enemies, and the enemies were defeated. Praise wasn't the prelude to the battle. Praise was the battle. Worship wasn't the preparation for the strategy. Worship was the strategy. Worship releases God's power. Let me, let me make my meaning plain. When we worship God, God's mighty power is unleashed on our behalf. Worship opens the door for God's delivering power to flow into our desperation. God is seeking men and women who will see their helplessness and worship Him anyway. Worship means honoring God. Worship means honoring God with our lives. That's what Romans 12 verse 1 means when we speak of offering your body as a living sacrifice. The various means of worship are simply ways of expressing how we feel about God. Worship is when worship is preparation for the spiritual warfare we face during the week. It's not the prelude, it's the battle itself. Worship ought to be a description of every part of life. What we do on Sunday morning is just the tip of the iceberg. When worship becomes our lifestyle, we see this great result. The battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's, and he's never lost one yet. Amen. Four simple questions. Who do I trust? God. How do I see myself? Powerless. What do I do in a crisis? Worship. What does God do? Fight the battles for me. Judah didn't need a large army, a small army, or any army at all. As long as the nation depended on the Lord, he would fight her battle. I pray you are blessed.
in Christian's name of Jesus. Amen. Hope everybody packed lunch for the BSO 2 o'clock today. <laughs> Amen. I want to thank um, Pastor Leadership for this opportunity um, to speak this morning. And, you know, when he mentioned generational momentum, the word that stuck out to me was sustainability. You know, when, when you're moving forward in life, it's it's easy to fall back if you don't have a strong foundation and if you don't have that substance to keep you going in life. Amen. And um, so that's why like, I chose this morning to, to speak on that, on that topic there. Especially over the last year, we've seen COVID take um, the world by storm and we've seen the Christian community experience a tremendous amount of loss. And we've made, we've, as believers, we've been put in many situations where it would seem as though God is not answering our prayers or that He has forgotten about us. If we still chose to seek Him with, with all our with all our heart, even in life as as individuals, we often believe that when we've reached a certain uh, status in our life, that we've made it on our on on our own, and we like to say that I did it my way, or that it was by my works. But how many of us can truly say that it was actually God that has brought us through, and it has without His hand covering us, we wouldn't be where where we are today. And that is a true testament to His faithfulness to us. Um, in speaking of this, there were three topics that, that, I, that I thought of, and the first one that I'd like to speak on is actually weakness. Often when, when things go wrong in our, in our life and when situations that we are faced with that we try to solve on our own, we often find that in our own ability, some of us are strong bold enough to overcome those situations. But how many of us know that victory in the flesh does not last? Yeah. In saying that, it's often in our best interest to submit all our actions to God and let Him sustain us in each situation in, in our life no matter how big or, or how small and in that way we can experience lasting victory in everything that we say and do if we look at second corinthians 12 verse 9 it says that god said unto us my grace is sufficient unto you my power my power is made perfect in your weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that christ's power may rest upon me the second point that i found profound was that when we think about resting Resting, one of the ways that the enemy tries to decrease our level of sustainability is to tie us out to the point where we are mentally and spiritually drained to the point where we cannot focus or we cannot grow any anymore within God's purpose for us. The way that the, that the world thinks is that in order to sustain yourself and your life, so you have to keep working, you have to keep moving, you have to keep thinking about your situation and where you, you need to be. But how many of us truly appreciate the fact that in God's word, Resting is actually one of the ways that we can grow and sustain ourselves just by resting in, in, in His presence. The example that I thought about is when you're constructing a, sky, a skyscraper, one of the key elements is the, is the foundation. The foundation is responsible for holding up over a hundred plus floors. And you know, when we think about a foundation, as much as we want to get the skyscraper built, the foundation needs time to rest before you can add layers to it. And in that sense, we need to rest before, and in resting, that's when we allow God to work in and through us and to strengthen the foundation in our life to take us where He needs to go in our next level with Him. The scripture that I thought about that is um, a simple one. In Psalms 20, 23, verse 1 to 3, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me delight on in green pastures, and He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, and He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. The third and final point that I thought on was our prayer life. You know, one of the, the, the key things for our physical body is that our physical body needs food in, in order to sustain us each and every day. 
And in that same way, God's word and through, through God's word and prayer, that is our spiritual food that we use to, to sustain us throughout our entire life, lifetime. And, you know, that being said, just like our physical bodies cannot survive on powder milk and purity to last us for years and years, we need to therefore dig deeper into God's word and to take the meat and to begin to grow spiritually and that in doing so, we, God will take us to the next level that He, he intends for us. And um, when you see that in First Chronicles 16 verse 11, it says, Look to the Lord for His strength and seek His face always. And just as in prayer and in praise and worship, that's how we'll, we'll begin to sustain ourselves and begin to meditate upon, upon His word. Well, the, the Lord definitely wants to take us to a greater place, but He needs us to achieve sustainability through Him in order for, for Him to achieve that within us. Thank you. Amen. up but I was taking notes eh? and I think there's so much substance substance in what they were sharing and that excites me. Let us bow our heads together. Let's just pray. Father I bring Calvin and I bring Daniel, bring Axel before you, bring Benji that open up this meeting. Father we thank you that when you called Joshua you said to him, let this book of the law not depart out of your mouth. Keep them in your heart. Delight in it. Then you would make your way prosperous. Then you would have good success. Lord, eternity will reveal that which you are beginning and you are igniting in their lives. May their passion for your word, may their passion for the things of God ever increase. May they see greater dimensions, may they have greater opportunities. Father, I pray, O oh God, may there be an enlargement of their camps. May they see even in their personal lives growth. May they see increase, may they see establishment. May you bless the works of their hands. May you bless, oh God, the fruit of their lips. May you bless everything they, that they put their, their hands and their minds to. May you establish their hearts. I thank you for your sons and daughter that has blessed us. So we bless them today. May it heal another generation that love you, that know you, that walk circumspectly before you. Bless your children today. Bless your people that have heard. Yes, that Lord, we believe that you're in control. In Jesus' name, amen.